The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to School Fox. Here are your headlines today. U.S. markets look to resurrect a recent rally with the S&P 500 on pace to knock its fifth straight winning week. While the Fed's James Bullard reiterates hawkish comments, saying he prefers a 75 basis point rate hike next month. Fed Bath and Beyond shares tumble after billionaire investor Ryan Cohen exits his entire stake, pocketing around $60 million. Cold shares sink despite beating analyst estimates as the retailer slashes its forecast for sales and profit, blaming inflation for softer sales from middle-income shoppers. And Greece turns the page as it prepares to exit the EU's enhanced surveillance framework, marking a formal end to its debt crisis. Let's get to the bottom of the latest Fed comments because one view on the market is that some participants are simply ignoring the Fed speakers at this stage. The St. Louis Fed President James Bullard says he's not ready to accept that inflation has peaked and that he's likely to back another 75 basis point hike at the Fed's September meeting. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal, Bullard said the Fed should continue to move swiftly and that it should target a rate of no more than 4% by year's end. I think that uh, 4% will be quite key for the market too. Now, July's CPI reading showed a 0.6% decline on the month, raising hopes that inflation may have hit a ceiling and that the Fed will slow its pace of hikes. Meanwhile, San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly said she supports lifting the Fed funds rate up to just over 3%. Speaking to CNN, Daly said that the Fed will stick to a hold-and-see strategy rather than hike aggressively this year and cut rates next year. Daly's remarks echo the latest Fed minutes released a day earlier in which officials warned against hiking too fast too soon and deemed it could be appropriate to slow the pace of rate increases. Well, investors will be hoping to get a gauge of the Federal Reserve's monetary pathway next week at the Global Central Bankers Summit. Of course, that is in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So a huge focus again on the mountain. CNBC, of course, will be live on the ground. Coverage starts on Thursday. So, Julian, as we talk about message and guiding the markets, I think there have been some concerns perhaps about the extent of the market rally, what that means for the Fed and whether they'll try and put 75 basis points on the table firmly for investors. That Jackson Hole Summit was already a focal point for investors, but I would say even more so after the comments yesterday. Fairly hawkish messaging coming from Bullard. Of course, he's usually a hawkish member of the Federal Reserve. But nevertheless, in the context of the Fed minutes, which came through earlier this week, which some interpreted as having a more dovish slant, I think next week will be key in terms of Fed messaging. As for trade yesterday, we saw U.S. equity markets close higher. All three of the majors eked out modest gains. The Dow Jones 
Jones ended about 19 points higher. S&P 500 rallied about 0.2%. And the tech-heavy Nasdaq gained about 0.2% as well. So no major moves, but we did move higher. Energy was the leader from a sector perspective. It gained about 2.5%, while real estate was the laggard, down about 7 tenths of a percent. For the week, given it is Friday, the last day of trade, let's put this into context. The Nasdaq is lower on the week, underperforming the other markets, which are positive on the week heading into today's session. Turning to Treasury markets, we saw a lot of action in Treasuries yesterday, yields moving higher, in particular in longer-dated Treasury notes. We saw yields move markedly higher there. Here's the 30-year trading around 3.16% now, the U.S. 10-year up at 2.9%, and then toward the front end of the curve, we're holding more steady around the 3.24% mark. So those comments from Fed officials seem to have had an impact on markets as they try to price in whether a more aggressive Fed hike in September is actually on the table and probable. Turning to the dollar, we saw the dollar index rise a further nine-tenths of a percent yesterday. So again, markets thinking about potentially a 75 basis point hike in September now more than they were previously. Week to date, the dollar index up about 1.8 percent coming into today's session. We are seeing some further strength this morning. Sterling is down a quarter of a percent versus the dollar. We're below that 120 mark. Euro also trading on the back foot versus the greenback. We're hovering right around parity. Let's see how Asian markets are faring in the overnight session. A mixed picture. Shanghai Composite trading flat. Hang Seng over in Hong Kong catching a bit of a bid this morning, up about four-tenths of a percent. Nikkei 225 holding steady as well, back below that 29,000 mark. Karen. Let's get some thoughts with John Hardy, head of FX strategy at Saxo Bank. John, I want to start with some of this risk on sentiment. Are markets getting carried away in some sort of summer lull, given that we've had comments uh, very recently from Kashkari over the Fed saying that, uh, effectively lamenting that the market was not listening to some of his more hawkish comments here. And we've got Jackson Hole coming up. It seems as though the Fed is trying to get ahead of this narrative about some sort of power pivot. Yeah, it, it really is an interesting uh, market backdrop because you have that awkward situation where the July FOMC meeting was read as delivering a Powell pivot in, in, the, uh, in the press conference. And subsequently, the Fed is trying to, to mop up that impression and uh, push back against it. But they've also pu- uh, put out the, uh, the guidance that they're going to be very data dependent. And the market has and investors have a very firm view of what they think is going to happen with inflation in coming months and quarters. And I think the Fed will react to that. I think the Fed is going to be uh, is going to be true to its word here and prove a bit more hawkish as long as financial conditions continue to melt up as they have uh, since that late July meeting. I don't think that was the Fed's intention. So I think yes, the 75 basis point uh, rate hike I think is the most likely scenario for September, and uh, we'll see uh, have to see of course where financial conditions are at that point. It's still a month away, but that's my uh, impression of the lay of the land. I think they'll use Jackson Hole to to do whatever they can to. Uh, again, to bolster the guidance that they, they remain on the uh, on the hunt and remain in inflation-fighting mode here. John, two strategies to focus on here. One, uh, the front-loading that could happen to the, the terminal rate where we end up on these interest rates stateside. And I want to bring in Bullard's comments because there's a lot of logic there, as we see in Europe, just how short the runway is for the ECB, that if the Fed ends up in a similar situation, conditions change uh, fairly aggressively in terms of growth, that maybe that runway gets a little bit shorter. Do you think Bullard's uh, commentary has merit here and get very aggressive, move quickly, and uh, down the track, if you need to reverse course, then you can do so? 
Yeah, of course. Uh, sure. Uh, the thing is, Bullard is, is the more hawkish voice, and uh, some of the Fed, I think, are uneasy with what the Fed has uh, done so far and are probably surprised at the degree to which financial conditions have eased. So they're going to do what they can to push back against that. I agree with that, but I think that really the key here is not so much the front rate. We've seen at times recently that the, the U.S., uh, uh, the Fed's tightening expectations have been adjusted higher, and the market has absorbed that well because the longer end remains very anchored. I think it's that longer end and that assumption around where inflation is headed out the curve that is uh, is the really important thing here that could could really start to push back even more than the Fed's own rhetoric uh, against this uh, this easing up of, of conditions and, and complacency. So I'm watching that 10-year uh, yield like a hawk, the 10-year Treasury yield. If it's uh, pushing back towards 3%, I think we're starting to see a bit of uneasiness creep back into the market around its forecast, around its uh, understanding or, or, or belief in what will happen with the inflation, uh, inflation out the curve next year especially. John, the dollar has been strong versus a range of currencies this week, up about 1.75% the dollar index. But we are seeing particular weakness in the euro. That's right, trading around parity this morning or approaching that level anyway. To what extent is that trade driven by the European side of the story? Gas prices rising and the energy picture in Europe becoming more precarious. Uh, Very much so. Uh, but also the relative central bank uh, outlook is is an important factor there. But I think uh, as well as the euro, if you look over at sterling, I think it's a very interesting situation because the UK beset with a very similar uh, set of problems. And yet you have the Bank of England trying to and, and even the market marking up the Bank of England to respond more forcefully to these very remarkable CPI numbers we've seen. And yet the market is is still punishing sterling here. So I think uh, both both of those currencies, the euro and sterling, in a very a bad situation with um, uh, with energy prices, with power prices, and that will remain the case. I think that uh, uh, you know the extra pressure, uh, as long as their situation is under far more pressure than than elsewhere in the world with power, gas prices, etc. You're talking about uh, a cost of living crisis, uh, shutting down industries uh, during the winter, etc. So I think that, that that situation continues until we get some kind of development uh, in the uh, front, uh, Russian-Ukraine war front, that suggests that uh, things are going in a different direction. So all, a lot still comes back to what's happening geopolitically. Uh, John, let me dive a little bit deeper into what's happening in the UK. That double-digit inflation print captured the attention of many in the financial world and outside of it. Um, do you think that the Bank of England has misstepped at all here? Or is Andrew Bailey in control still of the inflation narrative and in control of the overall um, situation? No, I really don't. I think the the Bank of England is chasing from behind and did a very poor job uh, of getting underway, and their pace has proven too cautious and too slow. Uh, I think if we look at uh, what happened uh, over the last week, it's uh, I alluded to it before. You had a a very powerful CPI print, much higher than expected, and yes, the Bank of England has forecasted that inflation will reach 13% or so uh, as we work into the fall. We marked two-year UK rates up higher on the, on the back of that inflation print by something like 40 basis points over a couple of days. And then sterling versus the US dollar, yes, US rates rose a little bit as well, but the spread rose a great deal, and yet the US, uh, this sterling US dollar rate was hardly changed, and now it's hitting uh, new local lows below 120. It, it's sort of bordering on emerging, uh, emerging market currency behavior. I'm not saying the, UK, uh, the sterling is an emerging market currency, but it's just the situation that the backdrop is so dire that the the Bank of England can only chase from behind here. And if it does get ahead of the curve, it'll be with brutal rate hikes that are, of course, uh, a huge risk to the economy uh, and a, a brutal recession. So it's it's just a it's just not a good situation until this uh, cost of living crisis is uh, in, in relative terms to elsewhere in the world is resolved in the UK. 
and that can only come when when there's relief on the uh, on the power natural gas front etc john as we've been talking about the dollar has been king all year and going right back up again in recent weeks is there any other currency you would better on other than the us dollar at this point uh, <laughs> No, I, I think the dollar is front and center here, and I, I wonder what's going to happen. We're talking about the Fed, and we're talking about rate hikes. Well, what about uh, quantitative tightening? That hasn't even reached anything resembling its supposed maximum pace, which is, uh, according to their schedule, coming in the, in the next month, $95 billion per month. The Fed balance sheet has uh, only dropped uh, less than that since the very peak uh, earlier this spring. So that, that rate has to pick up. I think dollar liquidity is an issue. If U.S. yields go higher, that's an issue. And I'm especially watching the Chinese renminbi. Uh, that uh, rate is right at the highs of the cycle. And if that is uh, cutting loose to the upside, I think it's a move by China to sort of remove this uh, sort of sloppy managed float against the dollar because it's uh, simply the dollar is simply too strong. Commodity prices have come down a bit so they can allow themselves to, to devalue a bit. I think that will further uh, weaken sentiment. I think the dollar, the strong dollar, is really going to be a, uh, a wrecking ball, if you will, across markets and impacting risk sentiment broadly as well. John, a pleasure speaking to you this morning. Thank you very much. Look forward to the next time you join us. John Hardy, head of FX Strategy at Saxo Bank. Bed Bath & Beyond shares plunged in after-hours trade after billionaire activist investor Ryan Cohen exited his stake in the home goods retailer. At its peak, the company's share price had risen nearly 360% this month amid a frenzy of interest from meme stock investors. You know, Cohen was the co-founder of a pet supply company called Chewy. And what's going on over at uh, BBB, Bed Bath & Beyond, reminds me of a game of fetch with a puppy. <laughs> Effectively, you throw the bone or you throw the toy and you wait for the dog or the puppy to, to pick up the toy and run back to you till eventually you get bored of it. Uh, the animal wants to keep on playing, but you're sick of it. And, you know, what we saw here, he went into the company, installed three directors, and built himself as an activist to change up the company. A lot of uh, investors, uh, retail institutional like, got excited about that change. And you've seen such a big rally in the stock. And, of course, uh, the money on the line as well, the call options, very bullish. We were talking about this the other day, the stock and uh, what's got about to about $30 at its best. And obviously, well, well done now after this sell-off. He had the, these strike options on the stock, uh, much higher levels, uh, $60 and $80 on these uh, January call options, I should say, with those strike prices. So that is a very bullish signal to a lot of investors. And I think the problem is a lot of people buy in. They see this type of action, the, the money on the line, the commentary about uh, changing uh, the direction of the company and making it, uh, I guess, fitter and tougher in this type of environment. And they, they lean into it. So I think it's very unfortunate here about the messaging because a lot of people would have lost some money again. Well, I think that is perhaps where the bigger implications lie, that we, according to Vanda Research, we know that Bed Bath & Beyond was the third most bought stock by retail investors on Tuesday. So retail investors did jump onto the bandwagon. And if you thought that the meme stock frenzy was over, this is confirmation that it is not. And I think that's interesting, given where we are from a macro perspective, that, yes, we're talking so much about inflationary pressures, getting investors down. But when you talk about uh, day trading and uh, meme stock investors playing money in the market, clearly there is still some money sloshing around, and that's got to be something that the Fed is watching. And if you think about the mentality out there in the marketplace, so as we talk about these meme stocks, we used to have uh, the institutions versus the retail traders. 
and every time in a big institution sold off, the retail uh, traders would double down, get back into the stock, uh, talk amongst themselves on some sort of community board, and uh, the stock would rally again. And we'd all sort of sit back and say, what is going on? This is incredible. But I think now when you do have such volatile markets and you've had retail investors who have lost a lot of money, some of them lost their shirts, that you've now got this nervousness back in the market. So Cohen sells and others take stock of it and they also rush for the exit. So I think it's a much more volatile market just in terms of the amount of money, though, for those who'd bet against the stock. I mean, S3 Partners had said that they burned through $600 million uh, in the pockets of those who bet against the stock. So, I mean, that is a huge amount of money if you are short a stock in a marketplace where the stock is running to the upside. Well, I think this is exactly why retail investors are interested in Bed Bath & Beyond. They tend to like stocks that have a small free float and a significant um, amount of short interest. And uh, that could obviously push the stock sharply higher if there's a squeeze all of a sudden and you have institutional investors uh, running for the exit from those short positions. And that is the breeding ground for tremendous volatility. Yeah, perhaps a lesson for some of the meme traders out there that some of these names are just open for exploitation now that uh, you've got uh, motivated parties to make money. It's not just about uh, trading a meme stock because you like it and you want to rail against uh, the institutions that uh, effectively some of the institutions can get in there and use it to their own advantages uh, or own advantage as well. So I think in this particular case, uh, this is one stock that you want to watch out for. Uh, let's push on and take a look at Cisco shares. They jumped in U.S. trade, notching their biggest daily gain since late 2020 after beating earnings and revenue estimates and lifting guidance for this year and next. Revenue declined slightly to $13.1 billion and net income fell 6% to $2.82 billion. Uh, also a big read-in on the Chinese market too and what's taking place. Now the Cisco CEO Chuck Robbins told our colleagues in the U.S. that the strong results are a sign that supply chain issues are starting to ease. But he said he expects some continued challenges. The power supply issue is still working its way through, but uh, we saw other components become a little easier to get. We still are going to have headwinds. If we didn't have supply chain headwinds, candidly, for the year that we just guided, we would actually grow faster. But, um, and we may if the supply chain improves as the year goes on, but this is what we see today. The retail results continue to roll in. Kohl's has slashed its sales and profit forecasts, with the department stores squeezed by higher costs and slumping demand. As record high inflation begins to bite, Kohl's says it now expects net sales to fall between 5 and 6% on the year, compared to a previous estimate of 1% growth. Shares closed the session almost 8% lower. Kohl's CEO Michelle Gass told CNBC that inflation pressures are hitting middle-income customers the hardest. Where we are seeing the biggest pressure in our business is that middle income customer. And we saw that come on very suddenly towards the end of May, June by far our toughest month. And as you mentioned, interestingly enough, we're seeing our upper income customers be fine. In fact, we're seeing more customers and they're spending more, but we're feeling that pressure. Like other big box retailers, Coles also said it's being forced to offload excess inventory at a steep discount, with some prices marked down by as much as 80%. The department store chain said inventory ballooned 48% compared to where it stood last year. That is higher than all of its peers. 
Coming up on the show, Greece is set to exit the EU's enhanced surveillance framework, turning the page on its bailout years. We'll discuss more after this break. If you stick around long enough, you see some of these stories go full circle. And in the lead up to the big central bank meeting in Jackson Hole next week, and for more on where Fed policy is heading, you can check out the Squawk podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back. Turkey's central bank shocked markets on Thursday by cutting its benchmark policy rate despite inflation in the country sitting near 80 percent. It cut the main policy rate, which had been at 14 percent for the last seven months, to 13 percent, sending the lira down against the dollar toward a new record low. The Turkish central bank said it expects the, quote, disinflation process to start and that there are signals of a loss of momentum in economic activity. Greece is set to exit the European Union's enhanced surveillance, ending the monitoring framework that was put in place after the end of its bailouts in 2018. The move will allow the country greater freedom in implementing economic policy. And let's get out to Sylvia for more. And Sylvia joining us from Singapore at this stage. Sylvia, this is like uh, walking down memory lane as we think back to all the late night programming we used to do on a Sunday night around these bailouts for Greece and seeing Yanis Varoufakis turn up in a, a leather jacket only to resign the next day as finance minister. Quite a journey for Greece. And what does this next stage mean? Absolutely. Part of me actually misses those late night meetings, but definitely now a much better picture for Greece. From now on, the country is no longer under this enhanced surveillance from European creditors. In other words, it just means that from now on, Greece is totally independent to do what it wants in terms of economic policy, and the European creditors will be treating it as any other European country. And in essence, this matters because it just closes that chapter on those very difficult bail bailout years. The final bailout actually came to an end in 2018. So this is quite recent uh, history uh, for the Greek economy. But having said that, the country is not immune to some of the pressures that we're seeing across the block, namely higher inflation, higher interest rates, and in the case of Greece, a massive public debt profile. And having said that as well, I spoke with the country's economic advisor to the Prime Minister, Alexis Patelis, on Thursday. And he said that actually the country is trying to be some sort of answer to the energy crisis that the continent is facing. Let's take a look at what he had to say in terms of what the country is planning to do on that front. We need to improve storage and improve connectivity. Connectivity is key, as we discovered now with a crisis with Russia. Um, and uh, what, what Greece wants to be is a hub for energy flowing uh, from uh, North Africa, from the Middle East, um, towards Europe. So traditionally in Europe, um, people have thought of energy as flowing from the East to the West. Now I think there's going to be a lot of focus from uh, South to the North. Uh, we've signed a deal with Egypt to develop ties there. Uh, we uh, want to develop uh, a link also to Saudi Arabia that will become one of the 
cheapest uh, renewable energy producers out there. Um, mm -hmm. And in general, we want to uh, link the country as much as we can to others. Alexis Patel is there, the economic advisor to the Greek Prime Minister, outlining some of the plans that the country has to provide an answer to some of this uh, energy shock that the European continent is facing. That perhaps going forward, these flows of energy will not happen so much from east to west, but more so from south to north Europe. But of course, guys, that will take a lot of investment as well. So let's see how that will evolve in the coming months. Sylvia, unless there's something wrong with my screen here, I can see that the 10-year yield on Italy and Greece are trading uh, very close together, about 20 basis points, the difference, which is just extraordinary as we talk about all the issues that Greece has had, where we skyrocketed to on this yield, uh, I mean, concerns about default. And just give us a sense of what this means in the next phase as we talk about interest rates going up, but also the deployment of anti-fragmentation tools to stop any uh, fragmentation in bond yields as we move towards tighter monetary policy. So we saw some uh, recent activity in bond yields across, Euro across Europe, as you know, on Thursday after that key interview with uh, Isabel Schneibel from uh, the ECB, really sounding very hawkish going forward. And the European uh, and Greek officials, I should say, are actually quite concerned about that. The fact that there will be higher interest rates across the bloc, that it will be complicated for the Greek government to sail through that, because as I mentioned before, they were talking about a huge debt policy. Public, a public debt, I should say, is close to 200% debt to GDP. So they will have to be very careful doing so, implementing new policies going forward as the ECB increases interest rates. But of course, let's see what will happen on that front, because what's different now as well, Karen, is the fact that the Europeans have this uh, uh, compromise to uh, raise debt together. And that is, in essence, like what economists are saying as one of the key factors that is propelling the eurozone going forward it's different now when you compare it to what we saw back in 2015 thank you for listening to squawk box europe express for more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with jeff cutmore steve sedgwick and karen show weekdays on cnbc